2: Hey, everyone. I want to welcome you. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive by. So thrilled to be connecting with all of you. I want to give a shout out to Mr. Benny real quick. Hello, Mr. B. What up? How you be, B? I be pretty good. You being good? Uh-huh. Uh-oh.
1: Trying to stay as cool. You're lucky you're not in here today. Our AC is out again, but that's okay. Oh, okay.
2: But you know I love that, though.
1: Yeah, and we're continuing summer here.
2: Yeah. You, you know for sure, <laughs> forget right? Forget fall. With me when, I, when, when I'm doing, like, the studio thing, right? Right, right, right It's right. kind of like I'm in there, and I'm like, Benny, it's freezing in yeah, here. i got to bring on my winter coat.
1: It's like 73. <laughs> <laughs> it's 80 in here now, though, so.
2: <gasps> That's my kind of weather. Yeah, I know. Right there. <laughs> That's my kind of weather. This waking up in August to 45 degrees. That's because I live in Bothell, but waking up to 45 degrees—that's for somebody else. We got a great show today, Benny. Totally great show. Totally, totally.
1: Totally. How many totally. times was it totally? Totally.
2: It totally. Uh, we're talking about brilliance. Brilliant.
1: I'm all about that. Who isn't?
2: Oh, I'm telling you, Claudette at rallies in the house. How to align yourself with your unique potential. She is the author of the book, Brilliance, and we actually have a couple of copies to give away today. And it is Embrace Your Brilliance, fabulous book. Uh, And many of you know Claudette because we do a show on cultural brilliance. Uh, Claudette is the CEO of Cultural Brilliance. She is a cultural design consultant. 20 plus years organizational development She's the, she's created a five-step cultural brilliance methodology but you can tune into the radio show cultural brilliance radio and hear all about what it means to not just design a culture that represents what brilliance means and what we're going to talk about today but somebody that can work with you your organization whether you work with her as a coach or you know you invite her into your company Company can be large, can be small, doesn't matter. Because what you want to do is to identify and open up the door for cultural brilliance, the DNA, the DNA of organizational excellence. Well, today we're going to be talking about a different DNA, the DNA of you, your brilliance, how to align yourself, your DNA with your unique potential. And so not only are we going to give copies of this book away, but we're going to be talking about what this means and why it is in the world we're living in right now that this is your go-to place. Claudette, thank you for joining us here today. Welcome. It's great to be talking about this.
3: Oh, it's so I'm so happy to be here. This is going to be fun.
2: <laughs> totally fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Benny and I were, were joking a little bit because, you know, part of it is our uniqueness. Now, if you were in the studio with Benny – and me right now, what would happen is I'd be like 80 degrees. I'm loving it. I'm feeling it. Benny's like, I want it to be 69 in here, right? Or 68 in here. Uh, 72. 72. Just for
4: for. Just, for fun. just for fun. Just for fun, right, for fun. yeah.
2: Um, but this is really brilliant, you know, to look at our diversity, to look at our unique potentiality in the world, and yet not hunger for this thing that we're talking about today, how to align, how to be that. Let's let, let me ask you, brilliance. Today's world, how important is this? Give I think us it's an, an update.
3: Yeah, happy to give you an update. I think it's incredibly important, and I think it becomes more important, more and more important every day. That we understand, you know, when I think about brilliance at the individual level, I think about it as the intersection between you know, one's talents, abilities, and passions. So how do we understand who we actually are as human beings and what we can contribute to the world? And then how do we actually bring that out into the world? And I think the world needs, really, really needs that if it ever needed it. It needs it now, all of us to be at our brilliance.
2: Yeah. I love the title of the book because what the what you're talking about is embracing, embracing your brilliance. And, you know, we look at brilliance and I don't know about you, but you know, you can look at maybe, maybe somebody that you look at in Hollywood or maybe somebody last night were the Emmys, maybe somebody that you're looking in sports, maybe a teacher and you look at them and you say, man, they're brilliant, but we don't look at ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. How do we do that? How can we go about embracing that? That's a great
3: question because we look at people, yeah, the people who won in the Emmys last night, you know, sports figures, the, the people that, that are in the headlines, and we see a lot of their brilliance because they have these talents that we as a society have decided stand out, you know, in music and acting and sports, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the rest of us are, grow up thinking, hey, I'm just an average person. I don't, I'm not brilliant. Maybe I got great grades in school or whatever, but I'm not really brilliant. And what I'm talking about in Embrace Your Brilliance is that actually I believe that we all have a unique potential that's brilliant, Mm -hmm. And we all may not, you know, we all might not be superstars in the way we define that in this day and age, but we all have a particular kind of brilliance that's available to us. And part of our jobs, you know, there are a lucky few for whom it's obvious, you know, they have that kind of talent that stands out early on. And the rest of us, though, we might have glimpses of it, but we need, it's our job to actually search inside and find out what it is that we are brilliant at.
2: I'll tell you, you really, you're hitting the nail on the head right here, Because it's easy for me to be sitting here talking with you today, but most of my life has been uh, about the question you ask in the book. What if my good enough is quite simply that good enough? But I got to tell you, finding this thing that I'm doing now and loving it, I'm grateful every day for it. But I got to tell you, sometimes I think I just got lucky here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what is that quote? I forget who said it, but luck or chance favors the prepared mind, right? So I think that we—I um, forget who to who to attribute that to—but I think that we do. Um, certainly, there's some luck, there's some chance sometimes in things, but a lot, you know, it's our job to be ready when it happens, right? A lot of yeah. people will say when I look back at my life. I can see this experience and this experience and this next experience and how how they all connected or prepared me for what I'm doing now. I just didn't know it at the time but it all fit together.
2: Yeah, I mean, you work with people one on one. You work in organizations. You know, you've coached people, and I love this show today is talking about brilliance. And of course, now you you know you're the CEO of Cultural Brilliance and organization, and you work with organizations and, sh- and and help people show up and identify unique potentiality. I want to ask you about this. What what have you found over time? Could we, first of all, what are we doing really well, and what, what, what could we do a better job at?
3: In organizations?
2: Well, yeah, in organizations, yeah, okay. in, but which yeah. boils down to us, right? Yeah,
3: but yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think what organizations are doing well in some cases right now is they're starting to look at, you know, how do we, how do we actually develop everybody? We're not just, not just the, quote, high potentials. Mm-hmm. You know what does it look like, and we might call that talent management, whatever you're calling it, in different organizations. But some organizations are actually starting to look at how do we develop all of our people. And I um, I was really fortunate over the weekend to be at a conference where one of the authors of a book called In Everyone Culture was speaking, and their idea is is about creating what they call a developmental culture where everyone is working every day to not only develop themselves, they develop each other and the organization. So we're all responsible and all working toward making each other better. Yeah. Um, and those kinds of examples I think are what we're doing really well in organizations. And we're starting to see a lot of research actually backing that up, which is even more exciting. What, what might seem obvious to some of us is now getting backed up by research. Um, and what I See organizations not doing as well is, um, and this will be unfortunately familiar to many of us, is they're not uh, creating. And this this also came up at this conference I was at. They're not creating what some people are calling uh, psychological safety in organizations. Mm -hmm. And this is actually this is actually bearing out in research now that in order for an organization to function really optimally or brilliantly, you have to have psychological safety so that people can say what they need to say. They can make mistakes. They can innovate. They're not necessarily um, having focused on preservative safety, which is, you know what? I'm not going to stick my nose out. I'm not going to take the risk to innovate. I don't want to tell anybody I made a mistake because I want to keep myself safe in this kind of held back way because that's what my organization actually supports versus the psychological safety of saying we can take a risk and make a mistake and it'll still be okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, I love what you're talking about because, I mean, uh, you and I are sitting here today and we're doing this show and the broadcast of this particular show is going to a lot of different places, but we didn't get here uh, through the eyes or the lens, I think, as you say, of perfection. We got here from stumbling over ourselves, especially early on, not even understanding what this business or what this was about and holding on. Fastening our seatbelts as we took this ride together, this entire team here, uh, you say something in the book that I love that what is so hard for most people to absorb and certainly was hard for us along the way. You say, you're an ace, but you don't know it, right? Because right. someone said that to you. You're an ace, but you don't know it. I mean, most of us want to say, oh, pff, nah, not me. I'm not an ace, but yeah. But then you say, what if that's true? Well, what if that's true? What do I do? Where do I go from here?
3: <laughs> yeah. And I think it, I remember that. Yeah. The, the exact moment someone said that to me probably over 10 years ago. And yeah. it was a client of mine. You're an ace, but you don't know a client. And, and and it was intriguing. I thought, wow, oh, well, what what could that mean? What am I missing about myself that he's seeing in me? And what would change if I thought I was an ace too? And so I think that's a great question for for a lot of us to ask ourselves. What if you're an ace and you don't know it? What are you not seeing that's so great about yourself? And how would that change your life if you did see it and acknowledge it?
2: I love this because this is really what this is about today. When we go going to take a short break, for those of you out there, uh, if you want to find out more about Claudette, certainly go to culturalbrilliance.com. Uh, you could sign up for a fabulous uh, leadership mindset. Uh, we're going to be talking about brilliance, what it looks like. Uh, but more than that is how do we set the stage for it? What can we do setting the stage for brilliance? When we come back, we're going to talk about What organizations, what people, what can we do to set the stage for it? How do we prepare for it? Uh, Let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. everybody welcome back i'm so glad to have claudette rowley in the house here today introducing all of you to a fabulous book embrace your brilliance how to align yourself with your unique potential uh and we actually have uh three copies of this to give away to folks today and mr benny let's give one of them away 1-800-930-2819 1-800-930-2819. 1-800-930-2819. Claudette, thank you for joining me here today. Um, you know, before the break, I was saying, okay, setting the stage for brilliance, setting the stage. You know, it's kind of interesting. It, it's, it's kind of like it reminds me of like when you're having like a banquet or when you're having like a holiday and you go through the trouble of actually setting the table, right? Mm-hmm, and right. In, in the anticipation for a feast, right? hmm. I was really struck by that. I didn't really think that setting the stage for brilliance was something we were aware that we had to do. And I would love for you to talk about that.
3: Absolutely. So I think, you know, ideally in a perfect world, a lot of uh, well, who would be setting the stage for our brilliance might be our families or our teachers growing up. And some of us get that that experience, but a lot of people don't. So then when you're an adult, I think that you you have to set your own stage. And you have to find, you know, that could be going on some sort of exploration internally. Uh, It could be, you know, having a mentor at work. It could be someone who takes interest in you. It could, you know, it could be many things. But you might end up needing a couple of people or a support system around you to help set the stage for your brilliance, for you to uncover it, understand what it might be for you, and then how you're going to go about moving toward it if you need to make some changes or do something different educationally or get a different job. But we it's not something most of us are just going to internally say, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to internally think, you know, explore this for a while, come up with an answer and go execute it. That doesn't for most people, they can't do that.
2: Yeah. 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 And you know what it's like? It's like that catch all that that happens to us regarding success. Right. Is we're not prepared for it we don't know what to do do with it sometimes when it happens you know we're not anticipating you know it to show up and so the energy that might come back is one of not wanting it and Mm -hmm. I and and how does that um you know how does that really play out for people that internally are longing to be aligned with our unique potential Mm -hmm. but on the outside don't really have that vibe and that, yeah,
3: that can be a challenge, and it makes yeah. me think about um, one of the chapters in the book, "The Gift of Obstacles," oh. and this idea of that obstacles can be gifts, that obstacles can be a course correction. And then you could have an external obstacle you're dealing with, or you could have something internal and an internal obstacle can be anything like, you know, negative self-talk, or we've made up an excuse about why we can't do something we really want to do. That is simply an excuse. We could mm-hmm. figure it out. Uh, and so it's, it, you know, over time, people who I see have become the most brilliant and by that. I don't mean the smartest or the best, right. but their own version of brilliance. Their insides and their outsides are fairly aligned. Like it's, they're pretty much the same person, mm. inside and out. They don't and, have this it, external persona, and the insides totally different.
2: You know, I'm really struck by that. You know why? Because as I'm listening to you talk about it, I'm imagining what happens when we're, we are not experienced that alignment. And 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 I think the the word that came to mind to me was conflicted. Mm -hmm. We have this, you know, inner conflict that seems to be going on uh, within ourselves. And, you know, I would venture to say that we probably don't know it, but life doesn't feel real good, does it? Mm.
3: No, life for some people, right. Life doesn't feel real good. Externally, they look, they could look great. They could have an amazing job and a good family Mm -hmm. and a bunch of friends and other hobbies. And internally, they don't. Even if they're successful, they really don't necessarily feel good about themselves. They may feel that they're really not good enough. They're an imposter. Um, They're never going to make it where they want to go. And they could actually be miserable, even though they look externally fantastic.
2: Mm. Mm. And what have you learned, you know, for folks maybe that are listening today, you know, what have you learned about the starting point? And, and that's why I, I think it's so important to have this conversation with you that when we set the stage for brilliance, whether we're an individual or an organization, right, and you mm-hmm. work with both, you know, there is this setting the stage for, for brilliance. There is this thing that we really need to be mindful about. Mm-hmm. Um, most people would say, what are the starting blocks? Where, mm-hmm. do, we, where do we even begin to look at this? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, great question. I mean, a mm-hmm. couple of places, and this might be different for everyone.
2: Yeah, one
3: is is start by telling yourself the truth about yourself. Mm-hmm. Meaning, what are the things that you're saying are okay that aren't? What are you tolerating? Uh, it could be a job. It could be a relationship. It could it could be so many different things. It could be this desire you have to learn how to, you know learn how to paint or make pottery that you're telling yourself is frivolous. You know, making up examples here that I've, they're not, but they're the real ones that I've heard before. And, and so telling yourself the truth about what you want and what's important to you, you don't necessarily have to tell anybody else initially, but telling yourself the truth can be very freeing. Um, that's one, one way to set the stage and that's a starting block. Another starting block I found is really understanding the environment you're in and how Mm -hmm. that impacts you. Mm. So that could be Personal environment—it could be culture at work, it could be a lot of different things. But I remember my experience about 20 years ago of working back to back in two very different organizational cultures, and in the first one, really was able to be brilliant in many ways in a creative way because of I, the latitude I was given. The trust—you know—I was they had confidence in me, they had a trust in me. They said, "Go create this. Just make it within these parameters, but you can do whatever you want otherwise." Yeah. And so I came up with something that was really great. And, they, and the people I worked for loved it. And then I moved and I went to work in another organization. And that organizational culture was very um, backstabbing and toxic and political. And I know, especially looking, I did, still did good work there, definitely. But when I look back on that contrast, it was the environment and the culture that was really shaping some of my responses and my ability to be brilliant even yeah. though I was the same person. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love what you're talking about when, you know, when you talk about cultural brilliance and we do this, you know, during your radio show, you talk about authenticity and that is a word that is becoming so absolutely in the forefront of things these days. Everything, right, Claudette, from the products that we buy, You know, we want to make sure, wait a minute, it says organic, but is that really authentically, is that authentic? Is that really it? We're starting to look for this as, you know, through many, many threads in life. How Mm -hmm. does it apply here when we're talking about finding our unique potential? I
3: think your unique potential is your authenticity, Mm -hmm. Or vice versa. Your authenticity is your unique potential. And I think in some ways they're synonyms. And if you're authentic, one is authentically being oneself in the world, meaning I would in an individual level say the expression of who you are out in the world and contributing through that expression, you're being very authentic when you're, you know, when you're clear about what you want and you're asking for that. And taking steps and actions toward it, you're being very authentic. It's when we start hiding and we have masks on, and we don't ask for what we want, and we hold back and contract, that we are no longer
2: authentic. Mm. Wow, you know, I, I've uh, I, I've looked at many many things, and I had the opportunity to go back and and reread the book again. And you know, it's interesting how we start to see things differently. How how the lens of, of of life changes for us. One of the things you also talk about in the book is the art of dreaming. Is dreaming a way to set the stage?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Dreaming is a way to set the stage because it Mm -hmm. allows, it's a way for us to start to get, clarify in an easy way what we might want. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm dreaming about this vacation I want to take. I'm dreaming about this relationship that I want or, gosh, this passion I really have that I'd love to turn into my, you know, my money, my job, my bill-paying job. How do I do that? And dreaming about, because when we start to dream, we get into what's possible for us. And I think a lot of us, especially as adults, stop doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. You know that's oh that's crazy. It's daydreaming, but think about when you were a kid and you date. You know, you might have been a daydreamer, right? You were doing that because you were generating what was possible for you.
2: Yeah, I I have to tell you, I was so a daydreamer. There's no question about it. I got to tell you, I ended up in more uh, suspension. uh, You know, where they say, "Oh, you're suspended. Go sit in the corner. Go, go to you know detention. Detention. That's the word I'm looking for. Because I was daydreaming. I mean, I was really quite happy in the world that I was created, Mm -hmm. creating. And Mm -hmm. yet at the same time, we're living in an age right now where we're longing for people to be more creative, right? Mm -hmm. We are. Mm -hmm. I want to just ask you this question. Doesn't creativity uh, link especially to daydreaming, but also to brilliance? I think, yeah,
3: creativity links to almost everything in my experience but yeah absolutely um to brilliance to daydreaming i you know it's one of the worst things we can say to ourselves is that's not realistic that's not realistic i could never do that is crazy it's not realistic and that's the antithesis of daydreaming and it's the antithesis of creativity and everything that we believe is possible. And do I think, yeah, do we? Do some of the things we do, we have to check reality and facts and figures at some point. But when we're, we're initially starting to understand what our brilliance might be and what we want to express into the world, we have to put that real. That this isn't realistic idea aside temporarily, so that we can get into our creative flow. We can start to generate in our own minds, and really, it's not even mind, really. It's heart and soul. But what we might really love to do and who we Mm -hmm. might really love to be in a brilliant sense.
2: I love this. You know, we're going to take a short break. Everyone, when we come back, we're going to talk with Claudette about, you know, what does it look like? What does it look like? What does brilliance look like? What does it look like within ourselves? But most importantly, how many hours do we spend at work and what is brilliance? What would happen if brilliance would show up, would reveal itself, in your organization. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be right back, Claudette. is gonna share with us what brilliance looks like in an organizational culture, but also before we get to that, how can we we look at brilliance in the workplace? Are we bringing it forward? Are we kind of like mm -mm, programming it for failure? Stay tuned, we'll be right back.
4: Hi, this is Leslie Fontaine. When we become aware of a choice, it is not accidental. It is our opportunity to transform. It's about becoming our higher vibrational selves. We tend to get alarmed and hide our heads in the sand when something new shows up in our awareness. That's all right, but today let's become aware of our desire, recognize the block, and make a choice to step through it. Often we want the circumstance to change before we change. See, it's the other way around. If you find resistance, maybe it's time for some support. If you're ready to shift into your best life, visit lesliefontaine.com and let's talk about unfolding all that you want to be do and have you'll find sessions classes and audio products to help remove the blocks and move you into your potential and listen to my show sheer alchemy on transformation talk radio wednesdays at 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern francine vale is a being of light she believes that all people of planet earth are as well As co-host of the Angel Healer Radio Show, Francine teaches you heart-centered ways to manifest healing on your own behalf, and how to integrate love more fully into your daily life. Connect with your angels as you find your life flowing with ease and harmony. Walk the path of light with Francine and Dr. Pat Basili every month on TransformationTalkRadio.com.
0: It's that time of the year again. The Woman of Wisdom Fall Harvest Festival is right around the corner. Join us on October 1st from 1030 a.m. to 5 p.m. at North Seattle Community College Conference Center. Admission is free. Festivities include arts and crafts, energy healers, intuitive readers, delicious food, and more. Don't miss this fun-filled event. For more information, visit womanofwisdom.org. That is womanofwisdom.org. And we'll see you there.
2: we Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for tuning us in. If you want to find out more about us, go to TransformationTalkRadio.com or you can go to the TheDrPatShow.com. Uh, for more about Claudette, you can go to Claudette's website, CulturalBrilliance.com, CulturalBrilliance.com. Uh, and also, uh, as I said before, we've got copies to give away, 1-800-930-2819. We're talking with her about Brilliance, but also about her book, "Embrace Your Brilliance." Brilliance, how to align yourself with your unique uh, potential. Uh, and claudette we're talking about this today. In uh, there are a lot of layers in the book, and a lot of layers about what you've created. But certainly one of them that we don't talk about much mm-hmm. is this idea of subverting brilliance and what that means. Now I know we're going to talk about unintentionally do it, mm-hmm. uh, doing it. Uh, Boy, I bet that requires a whole new level of awareness, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the ways we do that. Yeah, so there are a few
3: different ways, and some of them will be fairly familiar, I think, to most of us. Um, but one of the things I notice in organizations is the, you know, we definitely subvert brilliance when we're, we don't respond to people, mm. and organizations don't respond to people. When people say, gosh, you know, I, someone says, I have a great solution for this problem, or you know, I think something unfair is going on in an organization, like to bring it to your attention, yeah. or, or even the old, you know, let's do the employee engagement survey, which I personally don't think works very well, but, you know, and then they do the survey and say, thank you for this information, and then they don't, or the organization doesn't do anything with it. Yeah. Those are all examples of how we do subvert brilliance, because at some point people are like, I, you know what, I'm not going to say anything anymore. I'm just putting my head down. I'm doing my job. I'm collecting my paycheck. And if it gets really bad, maybe I'll look for a new job. And so people who could have come up with brilliant ideas, raised up a really important issue around inequity in an organization that they should pay attention to, you know, or even care, you know, even gave important feedback in an engagement survey are now going to be less brilliant next time because nobody listened or responded.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And yeah. that that's one of the big ways. It's just this lack of responsiveness.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And boy, doesn't that really tap into mistrust? It I mean, isn't does. that like, oh, my gosh, really? We just went through all this trouble. We filled this out. And why? They're not going to do anything with it. And then, in fact, they don't do anything with it. So doesn't it really open up the door for a whole series of things that we could probably point to where we're not going to trust the organization again?
3: Yeah, it does. It does point to a whole series of things. And, you know, how engaged am I going to be? What kind of uh, effort am I going to put into a project? Am I going to speak up when I know the answer to something or have, you know, an important solution? Am I going to be creative or innovative here? or I'm just going to put that somewhere else in my life because there's no point in doing it in this organization because no one even listens to me. So all those things run through many people's minds on a daily basis. And, one of the things that I, I heard recently, when I, I was mentioning earlier in the show about psychological mm-hmm. safety, uh, this um, book on an everyone culture that I was referencing that talks about everyone's responsible for helping to develop each other, they went in these these this team of researchers went into three organizations, and the organizations had agreed to be studied in research mm-hmm. and researched, and couple of them are known. They were all known to have fairly good organizational cultures. One actually worked in the organizational culture arena anyway. Yeah. And they went in and they were expecting to look at there'll be certain policies or procedures or something like that or practices that really help these organizations be. They didn't call them brilliant, but I would say brilliant organizations because yeah. uh, they were. And. They, these team of researchers found out they were completely and totally wrong in all of their assumptions. The number one thing across all three companies that allowed them to be brilliant organizations that worked together well was they had something that they called well-held vulnerability. Mm. That people in the organization not only felt free to be vulnerable, they felt safe to be vulnerable. That's the well-held part, right? There was this culture and environment where we could be vulnerable so that we then could you know, surface important ideas, bring up hard topics, have tough conversations, give feedback to each other, learn and grow, right? Yeah. Because there was a part of the culture in all three of these, and these are three very different companies, but in all three companies was this well-held vulnerability and the researchers were, were astounded. But when yeah. we think about it, it makes a lot of sense.
2: It does make a lot of sense because you know, really if we want to go back, and I know you we've you and I talk about this quite a bit, you talk about this on your radio show, is that the age of vulnerability got <clears throat> I I think came under a new level of restriction based on the fear that people have been working that that have experienced in the organization. So this idea of vulnerability means you've got to create, like you said before, you gotta create a safe space for this.
3: Yeah, you absolutely have to create a safe space for this. And be willing to, one of the organizations was talking about, someone from that company was actually there, I think he was the COO, and he said, you know, we've worked on this and worked on this, and we noticed we had a team member that wasn't participating in meetings anymore, and we thought he should have been, based on his knowledge base and expertise, so they finally sat down with him to ask him about it. And I'll say his name was Tom, and Tom, Tommy, this is what we're noticing in meetings, and you know, Not speaking up on things that we would have expected you to speak up on based on what you know. And he said, you know what? He said to his boss, who was this guy, Jeff. He said, Jeff, I feel like you shut down all my ideas. Mm. So I stopped talking in meetings because it feels like every time I bring up an idea, I get shut down. And this is an organization that's overtly working on vulnerability, overtly working on everybody developing each other, right? They actually have policies and practices and tools and coaching and all these things going on. And wow. this came up. And so Jeff was the one at the conference who was talking from this company and he said, "You know, I'll be honest, my first reaction internally was to say, well, maybe your ideas aren't very good." But then he caught himself and didn't actually say that and and went on to open up the conversation with this guy Tom and resolve it, but he talked for a minute about he said, "You know, how I felt was I felt embarrassed." That one of my direct reports felt this about me. I felt shame that one of my direct reports felt this about me when we'd worked so hard to make sure this didn't happen. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was, you know, so I thought, wow. So even in an organization where they're working on all these things, we're still going to see these issues come up. But I thought how, how well, really brilliant it was that they had a forum that the people that Jeff, the boss, noticed that Tom wasn't contributing. And instead of writing Tom off, actually had a conversation with him. Tom felt safe enough to say, I feel like you shut down my ideas. And Tom had enough skill to respond appropriately. Wow. And I thought, how human, right? How human? Because how we're never going to get away. Even in brilliant organizations with brilliant people, it doesn't mean we're not going to have feelings and think wires aren't going to get crossed. It means we can actually handle it when it happens.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk with you a little bit uh, about one of my pet peeves, and maybe you know, maybe you can help me out with it. Okay. Uh, the term "human capital" makes me crazy. Uh, I don't know why it is. Maybe because I got a little, I got a few years in in corporate America, but I I, I got to ask you, I, I just don't understand why we couldn't come up with something better than that. Or am I just, you know, somebody that just hasn't caught on to the way <laughs> organizational language? Right? I'm I'm caught in the twilight zone here, Claudette. I don't know if you can help me with this or not.
3: Sure. Um, I I have similar feelings about human capital, uh, and I don't I don't I haven't researched the origin of it or when we started using it, but huh. but I think it's 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 interesting to me because what was coming up for me when you were sharing your experience is when we say human capital, I think we distance ourselves from the people Mm. in our organization because they're not just people, right? They're not employees. They're human capital. They're this resource and they (laughs) are resources, but it becomes a resource like a financial resource or a technical resource or Mm. a building resource. And it allows us to dehumanize the people that work for us a little bit when we call them capital. Yeah. And I, I say people, employees, you know, whatever the organizations I'm working in use. But I certainly won't say human capital because we're talking about human beings, (laughs) which is different than finance, which is different than our buildings, which is different than, you know, any other resource we have.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is really uh, one of the things that uh, people have shared. You know, you know this and I know this from the research I did. When you throw everything up on the board that people say that an organization is obligated to provide them with, and that is strong language, which is still true, obligated. Mm -hmm. It's not pay. It's not benefits. Uh, Surveys indicate over and over and over and over again, it is one word, one word. When we come back, we'll share that word with all of you out there. Uh, Again, one uh, let's cut Claudette rallies in the house. If you've missed any any part of today's show, it will play again later today on transformationtalkradio.com. We'll be right back.
4: She's a good girl. Loves her mom. Loves Jesus. In America too,
1: she's a good girl. Have you wanted to make more money without working harder or more? Maybe you've tried new ways to bring in extra income without success. Hi, my name is Deb Acker, and in addition to being the host of Truth Talk Radio, I'm an intuitive life coach and energy healer. I clear energy blocks to all areas of life, including abundance. Did you know many times we have an invisible income ceiling? So no matter what we do, our income never goes up, or if our income does go up, we experience an unexpected expense that negates this. How much would it be worth to significantly increase your income or even have unexpected income show up? When I was in the corporate world, I used these techniques to increase my income by tens of thousands of dollars without changing my work routine, in fact, I worked even less, and I now help clients do the same. If this resonates for you and you're truly ready for abundance in your life, I'd love to gift you with my pattern identification session simply contact me on the contact page of my website deborahacker.com that's d-e-b-o-r-a-h-a-c-k-e-r.com and let me know you heard about this gift through transformation talk radio i look forward to connecting soon
4: are you feeling stagnant or blocked in your love life career health or finances experiencing difficulty focusing or setting and achieving goals Tune in to Spiritual Diagnostics Radio with psychic visionary healers Carol Dorian and Suzanne Evans. Discover the cause and effect of unwanted patterns in life. Tune in every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio. For more information, visit spiritualdeed.com. Holistic Medical Center is where you find it all, a healthy space with doctors who care, see, and listen to the whole you. Hi, this is Dr. Darvish. If you have not found an answer to your chronic symptoms, you will find answers here at Holistic Medical Center. Our doctors find the root cause of your symptoms and guide your body towards healing naturally. We transform lives from within. Visit drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404. In retirement,
0: will you have enough money to live life on your terms? Everyone has retirement questions. Ask Ameriprise Financial Advisor Jeff Packman about the new confident retirement approach. You and Jeff can break down retirement planning step-by-step step to get the real answers you need. In fact, 93% of clients who've had the confident retirement approach conversation feel more confident about their retirement. Call Jeff Packman, financial advisor, at 425 453 0272 for your confident retirement conversation today. Office is located at 601 108th Avenue Northeast, Suite 1800, Bellevue, Washington, 98004. Percentage based on Ameriprise Financial Confident Retirement Client Survey as of December 2013. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC.
4: I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's great to have all of you tuning us in and turning us on. Uh, Claudette Rowley's in the house today. We're talking about brilliance, how to align yourself with unique potential. Her book is called Embrace Your Brilliance, and a fabulous, fabulous book. Uh, But as I said earlier, you know, Claudette, works in organizations and uh, is the CEO uh, of uh, her organization, Cultural Brilliance, but works with people to help them get to that place where brilliance is not just a word anymore, but it's a way of being. It's a way to transform a culture beyond the everyday, this is what we do for a living, to being at a place where excellence actually shows up. And people are happy in doing it. But today we're talking about what do we do? What does it look like? What does is, what is brilliance look like? And, you know, before the break, I was saying there's a word that by far, you know, since I did the research I did back in in 2000, this has now become more than just a popular idea, Claudette. You know, and it's the word respect. It is the thing that people say If you're going to fire me, treat me with respect in doing it. Huge word. And yet at the same time, it can be elusive. So isn't this part of what you look at when you look at brilliance in organizations? What does brilliance look like, by the way?
3: So, yes, definitely looking at respect when we look at brilliance in organizations and and yeah if your if your organization's not respecting the people that work there you know, that's really the first thing you you need to clean up right no mm-hmm. i have not met anyone ever in my entire life who said yeah i'm i'm hap- happy and fine when people disrespect me I, huh. that that's not going to happen and that respect also well, might i might find disrespectful someone else may not think is disrespectful so it right. is also subjective and really needs to be defined i think individually in organizations because depending on what your your company does and things like that respect might look different one company to the next so it is huge and does need to be paid attention to and brilliant cultures yeah they have respect they have a responsiveness to them that we talked about earlier there's some there's trust there's some sort of trust there's emotional safety and all these things and truth telling i would say that people can tell the truth about what's going on and mm-hmm. a lot of these things then set the stage for what i would say is this next level of brilliance which is yeah we can, yeah. We can innovate we can be creative we can solve problems you know once not 10 times in a row because we didn't solve it well the first time you know we can come up with new ideas we can collaborate well as teams you know we can once we have the basics in place we can go up to the next level of what brilliance might look like for our specific organization
2: you know, respect goes a long way. Uh, and that's actually something my mom uh, uh, w- would say to us uh, uh, us, 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 us girls, as sisters. You know, and she would say respect goes a long way. Um, you know, the other side of that is something also I want to ask you about. Uh, she also said to, to us, you, lay, you girls, and she would say this with a southern accent, she'd say, you know, y- you girls are not doormats either you know you you have a right to have a voice in life and we can have a voice in life can't we even Mm -hmm. in the workplace and express ourselves just the way that you shared earlier in the show because becoming a doormat doesn't work either
3: no becoming a doormat just you know sitting with keeping your head down uh all of that it doesn't it doesn't work and it's certainly not gonna help you feel brilliant or aligned with your innate potential nor is it going to create a brilliant organization so no okay. s- s- repressing ourselves putting our heads down not having a voice uh i've never seen that lead to anything particularly good and if you feel like you need to be that in your organization because of its culture that is something to take a look at
2: mhm mm-hmm. definitely Well, you know, when we're thinking about this and we're thinking about, you know, here I am and and this is my organizational culture and this is my organization, organizational practice, you know, we can tell on the surface which companies, which organizations, you know, show up as brilliance. Some people point to Google, for example, Mm
1: -hmm. they would
2: point to a company like Google because it fits their style, and they'd look at that and say, "Wow, that's it." Mm-hmm. Other people that may have more traditional works work habits may not. Mm-hmm. But is there well, something in common that these organizations have when it comes to brilliance?
3: I, yeah, I think one of the things and I'm speaking very broadly. You yeah. know, there's a set a set of values that are not mm-hmm. just on their website, but they're actually enacted within the organization and drive what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, everyone's really clear on what the purpose of the organization is. Like, why is this ex- organization actually exists? And what mm-hmm. are we here to do? And if you don't know the answer to that question, again, that's something to really think about. Um, there, We mentioned the trust, you know, being able to be truthful, being able to have a voice and speak up. A lot of those, the more mm-hmm. brilliant organizations have that. They have leaders who shepherd that and model it. Um, you know, being brilliant is not about You know, some organizations say, oh, yeah, we're brilliant, meaning we're really smart. And they're so busy running around being smart that no one can have a real conversation. (sighs) So that's not what we're talking about. Mm. Um, One of my favorite examples of, and this is a a small nonprofit organization I worked in. And when they changed CEOs, they went went into being far more brilliant in the sense that the CEO said, this culture is really just people are allowed to be mean to each other and rude and unkind. I'm changing this. And what I noticed is when he, as he started to change it, this organization got more innovative, more creative, better able to serve its mission. And my belief is because people felt freer to talk, they weren't worried about protecting their turf and protecting their backs all the time, which if we think about it, it takes a lot of energy to protect your turf and your back. Uh-huh. constantly so if that energy is freed up because you know your back is safe and you you know your turf is fairly safe then you actually can be more innovative creative and if people are being reasonably kind and civil then you're not processing the fact that someone was just rude to you in an email and again which is a colossal waste of everyone's time so that's you know little known organization but i saw them make a really big transformation just by changing some aspects of their culture
2: Yeah. And, you know, what we're talking about really boils down to each and every one of us. You know, we have to be that place of change, that point of change. And that really is what the book really, really talks to us about, really Mm -hmm. talks to us about looking at ourselves uh, and that level of self-awareness, doesn't it? it? It
3: really does. And, you know, my when I wrote this five or six years ago and it was many years in the making before that, my premise was, my idea, my dream really was that what, it, what would our world look like if we all were living our brilliance, living our unique potential? You know, I believe that the world would look like a very different place if that was actually happening. Uh, so individually, you know, when we individually as people find our brilliance, find our unique potential, and that doesn't have to be vocational or anything to do with work. It could be something to do with your family or some vol- volunteer work you do, whatever it is. When we do that, we actually really do contribute to the world as an individual person i i believe it makes a difference not only for us but others
2: oh Well, you know, first of all, thank you for today. Thank you for, you know, first of all, thank you for writing the book and thank you for today. For those of you out there, you can find out more about Claudette, about her company and about the work she does in the world and the radio show by going to culturalbrilliance.com. Thank you for today. One last question. What is your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today?
3: Mm, great question. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of the Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- I think the personal message is really know that if we're all here to do something in the world, and it might be something that's never written about in history books or might be written about in a history book, but we're all here to do something unique and special and important, whatever that looks like for you. And if it's something you're interested in, you do have the ability to find it within yourself.
2: Absolutely. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for, you know, the work that you do in the world. And for those of you that want to find out more or tune into the radio show or take a listen to some of the past shows that Claudette has done, again, go to culturalbrilliance.com. Thank you, Claudette. Thank you for today.
3: Thanks so much, Pat. Thanks for having me.
2: And for those of you out there, if you want to find out more about us, go to transformationtalkradio.com or you can go to the thedrpatshow.com. And you know what? Stay tuned. We've got another hour coming up. Another hour, by the way, Conscious Business. We'll see you next time.